Dave Max Cork History Matters brought to you by Red FM. Gabriel Doherty from UCC. Thank you for joining me again for this Cork History Matters podcast chat. I have very much enjoyed them. We began this in 2020, looking back at events of 100 years ago, episode one, we talked through uh, Tomas McCurtain and his assassi- assassination in his home in Blackpool. Episode two focused largely on his Lord Mayor replacement, Terence McSweeney, who died by hunger strike in Brixton Prison. Episode three uh, was Kilmichael, uh, burning of Cork, uh, and into the winter of 1920. We also spoke last year and sort of took the story from there, the six months of 1921 up to uh, truce uh, and treaty negotiations, and, and, and we brought it into the foundation of the, the new state, uh, and on into elements of the Civil War and, and Michael Collins' assassination. So we'll no doubt cover much of that territory again in this conversation, but let's open 100 years ago as we speak today, which is a, which is effectively uh, an eventful moment in world history. In fact, there's some people look back at 1922 as sort of marking the commencement of the modern world. Uh, James Joyce, Ulysses, yes. uh, and the, the foundation of the Irish state being amongst the, the events that made it a significant uh, period in time. But the handover by the British to the Irish in Dublin Castle ultimately was actually rather a muted affair, and yet it was hugely significant. What do you? What can you tell us about that event? Well, I mean, I suppose one has to recall what Dublin Castle was. I mean, it, it wasn't just a symbol, but it was a powerful symbol of British rule in Ireland. Uh, but it was also the practical centre of British government. It was where a very large proportion of the civil service was based and where practically all of the units of that civil service were, were located. Um, and so it had a, a symbolic and practical significance that really couldn't be ignored. So certainly the provisional government uh, under Michael Collins was keen to get their hands on. And, it, uh, and it, wasn't, it wasn't that long after the treaty had been ratified by the second doll, as yeah. it was then. Um, so it all happened rather fast. It did. It did. Well, <laughs> fast and slow in the sense that the, the treaty is signed in London on the 6th of December. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have two things. One, the British have to mm-hmm. debate it at Westminster. And that was an interesting debate, but we won't go into it. Landslide. Yes, a, a complete. And the, the vast majority of the Conservative Party, which 10 years before had a even granting home rule to Ireland, now come out in effect of giving self-government. How, is, how, how was that, the landslide? Well, that, that's... It, uh, that's an interesting story well, it, as well. It, it, it's simply how coalition uh, politics work. Is that, that You vote uh, with the party. Yes, and... It, so they had a huge majority in the House. And, yes, and, 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 and it wasn't ultimately an issue. Uh, as serious for the Conservative Party as, as perhaps some people thought. Mm. Uh, because they were the Conservative and Unionist Party. Exactly. And they, but perhaps they looked upon it and, and the, um, the the Government of Ireland Act, uh, which created Northern Ireland yep. in the six months prior to the treaty, uh, it's like sometime in mid, I think, Well, it, 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 it's, 1921. Passed, it's passed in December 1920 and then it is... There are various different dates in 1921 where various different elements... So James Craig, ultimately having resisted Home Rule, is the first to have Home Rule. Exactly. Uh, And and, and is the only part of Ireland that ultimately gets Home Rule because (laughs) it doesn't operate in in the South. Um, So so perhaps for the Conservative and Unionist Party, they feel like, well, we've protected... at least a part of the union. Well, that was that was a part of the argument uh, in favour of changing their position. That the guarantee, the unionist veto, I suppose, which would be the modern term, the guarantee to unionists that they wouldn't be put under Dublin rule had been honoured. As of course, as far as they were concerned, it was also honoured 
in the terms of the treaty, um, which said that well, a, a, a whole island, 32-county Irish Free State, would be nominally created. The six counties of Northern Ireland could vote itself out before uh, Dublin jurisdiction became effective. But then you would have a boundary commission which might yes. lead to a rectification or, or a dramatic change to the border. Uh, but just to, to, to come back, as it were, mm-hmm. that the Conservatives had in fact given up on not just home rule but the, any sort of control over most of the island of Ireland which had been such a, a huge part of the party's identity for so long. Uh, well yes and even aside from what it meant for the Conservatives just generally for like this was the first uh, chink in the armour of the British Empire. Well, uh, like how, like it's still it's kind of almost remarkable that they did let it go. Yes. I mean the, the way I would put this is, is that the British state in effect had been expanding for a thousand years mm. Initially, you had kingdoms like Wessex and Mercia. You then had the extension of power over the whole of the territory of England, then Wales, then in the early 17th century uh, with Scotland, the union of of the two countries, with the creation of Great Britain, and then in 1800 with the Act of Union with Ireland, you had the creation of the United Kingdom. So you had this constant expansion uh, until the British state, in effect, controlled the whole of the archipelago, as it were. And then... In 1921, the process goes into reverse. Well, and never mind even with... I'm not sure if they referred to it as the Commonwealth then, but they had a quarter of the planet yes. in terms of colonies. Yes. Um, with, well, the United States at one point, they were arguing... Well, actually, they were probably the first to throw off the but British. But the, the, the difference between the United States War of Independence and the Irish one is that the United States wasn't part of British territory. Okay. I mean, the, the British defined Ireland as part of its national yes. territory. If you want to put it in American terms, it would be almost like Hawaii... Uh, fighting a war against mm. the United States of America for its independence and winning. Uh, it, it would be something... And, and the Irish achievement was even greater than that because, of course, Ireland was much closer mm. to, to, as it were, Great Britain. But post-World War One, Britain's empire is actually at its zenith. Yes. Uh, yeah. it, you know, it was given Palestine, it was yes. given a number of territories it, it to rule over. It the German territories Iraq, in... in um, yes. and, yeah. and actually fought some of those wars using aerial power for the first time that it yes. never used in Ireland and arguably could have. Well, it, 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 it had used spotter planes, but interestingly, jumping slightly ahead to the attack on the forecourts, the British did debate using aircraft to bomb uh, the forecourts, their was own of, aircraft. Because that bomb. was kind of the new the new, fa- the new yes. element in, yes. in warfare, yes. Yes. was, was well, aerial it, power. Aerial power, and not just attacks on military targets either, but attacks on civilian targets. Uh, and and that, of course, as we know, in the Second World War, that became a, a horrendous aspect of the Second but World so War. But so British Empire at its peak, at its yes. zenith post-World and War I, not, and yet in just, that moment, yeah. it gives up it, uh, an element of its territory that it sees as in, yeah. in fundamental and integral. Yeah, and it's not just a question that Britain's power is at its zenith. Fran- French power, historically Britain's enemy, now its ally, but French power had been destroyed because it was exhausted after the First World War. The Germans were absolutely on their knees. Russia was consumed by a civil war or, or just a, a burgeoning Bolshevik state that didn't really work. The United States had retreated into isolationism. So Britain was never a stronger presence on the international mm. world stage than between 1919 and 1921. It then, in effect, loses about 25% of its national territory in a war against an enemy 
that had a minuscule fraction of its men and it, particularly its its material, and 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 there were many. I could say you're sort of looking a bit perplexed. And many, no, Britain, many, 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 Britain, many did they do it? Had that same feeling of how the hell <laughs> is this did happening? We end up yeah. losing Ireland against an enemy that we 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 barely saw, uh, and that of course comes down to the the wisdom of the IRA. Uh, tactics. And as you mentioned in our last podcast chat, uh, chat if anyone is, is new to it or is hearing this for the first time, I, well, I recommend them all, but certainly the last one covered a lot of territory and you talked about how many of those who led the uh, British forces in the Second World War used what they'd learned from IRA tactics to yes. inform the French resistance yes. and the Polish resistance, yes. this guerrilla warfare and, and how Special to run it. Special Operations Executive, uh, which was in effect uh, the training ground for many of the continental resistance movements uh, and many of the agents that were sent from Britain. Uh, practically the entire upper echelon of Special Operations Executive had served in Ireland during the First World, or sorry, during the War of Independence and made a detailed study of what had been done to them and how, in effect, they had been bettered in the game uh, by the IRA. Um, I, I, I would always say from that point of view, many of the, the freedom of Europe uh, might owe more than a little bit to the, the, the tactics adopted mm. by the IRA during mm. that War of Independence. So the handover, you know, it's early January of 19... 19- 22. Uh, we've just commemorated the centenary of it, and, and I, you know, uh, I'll bring us back to that point again. You know, we're we're we're, we're roving forward and, and and backward around that, but this is a really significant global moment, and the eyes of the world would have been on Ireland, particularly in places like India, yes, uh, who would have been kind of going, "We want a taste of this and as well." Egypt and and other parts, and of course, it, it isn't just a question of the British Empire. Uh, the Algerians, mm. uh, who of course were. Similar to Ireland, were a, a, a part of official French territory, mm. but there was water between them. Uh, the Algerian independence movement was given a tremendous fillip uh, by what the IRA had achieved. And I've, I've just read a book on the Algerian War of Independence, and the, 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 many of the leading Irish figures uh, were almost heroes uh, to the Algerians in their campaign uh, to achieve separation from France. That that took probably 30 more years to achieve. Uh, but that Republican campaign, what it's achieved against the most powerful empire the world had ever seen, operating on its doorstep when that empire was at its most powerful, was an inspiration for for every independence movement. So, you know, uh, uh, seemingly, and I've, you know, well, there's loads of ironies and there's loads of coincidences and there's loads of things. Uh, but you know, the first person who died in in the Rising of 1916 was at the the gates of Dublin Castle, uh, and it's the gates of Dublin Castle that Michael Collins rides through, yes. somewhat delayed. Seventeen <laughs> minutes, as the story goes, is it, or seven well, I, I, seven I, I, minutes. Or uh, there's, a, uh, there's a few minutes. I mean, uh, but uh, uh, what's what's sev- we waited seven seven hundred years? That's the story. I'm not I'm not sure whether it, whether it's true. <laughs> In fact, I'd almost prefer if it isn't true, because everyone believes it. Uh, But but sorry, what I wanted to say was seemingly crowds had gathered. Yes, oh, uh, oh, absolutely. uh, But nothing much happened. No, I mean, why did the Irish. how do you describe them? The Irish forces, the Irish state, the Michael Collins and his crew? Well, the provisional government. I mean, the provisional government. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, they Did they underplay it? Was it deliberate? Was, was it just like... They had work to do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, 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 they had such a, a gargantuan task of... So they wouldn't have seen this themselves as this is a moment to maybe be triumphalist? They Definitely not triumphalist, but precisely because there were many Again, other sensitivities. Uh, they had to bear in mind the, the fact that they're erstwhile Republican colleagues were looking upon this event in, in, with a very different view than their own and there was certainly at this point no 
certainty that the the bridges had been definitively burned. Collins was also talking to James Craig in the north uh, and didn't want to be seen to be uh, in burning bridges. But I think it's that more... Kind of, that, that kind of ties in with some of how Irish politicians today behave in, in the south in relation to events in the north that we might come back to later yeah, yeah, in the conversation. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, there was just work to be done. There was a huge uh, array of tasks to be done. Uh, and, and, and this and, was and just yet, one of And them. yet, like, you know, for Irish people from the coming of the Normans... Uh, way back in yeah, you know yes. 1169 yes. invited over by Dear McMurrah French yes. let's not forget they were not only were they French but they were the remnants of Vikings that had settled in the <laughs> north of France that had yes. become French <laughs> that had taken over England some hundred years before that were invited over to Ireland the Norman Knights who they later became more Irish than the Irish themselves yeah. it's it's sort of re, reconquered by Elizabethan yeah. forces and, around and the, arguably Dublin could be argued to be a Viking settlement in the first instance anyway. indeed uh, and sort of the 1600s is sort of the, the, the second wave of, of English settlement yep. um, and, and, and you know you know many the Robert Emmets of the world and the United Irishman uh, Wolf Tone and you know you name it so many so many men had, had sought for Ireland to take its place amongst the nations of the world if you'll allow me um, to use that uh, famous uh, phrase yeah that famous phrase um, and, and here we are yeah what did the handover involve? What was this? Was there a very, very, very signing little. of a document? Yeah, I mean, or? very basically, <laughs> almost handing the keys to the front door. Yeah. I mean, the 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 Lord Lieutenant Fitzalan, uh, who was the first Catholic to be Lord Lieutenant since uh, the Reformation, and who had only just been appointed uh, a short time before, basically to to ease the path uh, towards reconciliation. In effect, he he signs over. Uh, the deeds <laughs> to the to the state and and uh, concedes uh, acknowledges the creation of a provisional government. Although technically, from a British point of view, they needed to pass legislation after the fact. So it was a consti- to, constituent assembly exactly to, to, to retrospectively sanction the creation of this provisional government. Yeah. Uh, and so once that had happened, the provisional government is is in power, although it doesn't have all the power that it needs either legislatively because it needs the British to pass certain pieces of legislation and it also, perhaps more importantly, needs to assert its control over the state. And that's where another very important development happens, where the British start their military pullout. Uh, This was absolutely key to Michael Collins' strategy. He argued, as in, in keeping with, as it were, practically every Republican on whatever position they took about the treaty, that the basis of British rule in Ireland was military power. And if the British army was got out, then other aspects of that power would wither on the vine. Mm. Now, Collins was astute enough to know that, economically speaking, Britain's control over the levers of power in Ireland was still sufficiently strong that you still needed to do some action on that. But he definitely believed that the first step was was getting the army out. And that happened, that starts. Uh, over the course of the following weeks, after the handover of Dublin Castle, you start, the British begin their pullout. Uh, we noted, for example, just last weekend, uh, that what is now Kilworth Barracks uh, or, or Army Camp, which was then Moor Park, it was it was originally known as. Uh, that was one of the first uh, barracks in the south, certainly, to be uh, evacuated. So the British pull back from many of their smaller barracks, concentrate in the bigger cities, particularly Dublin, uh, and by degrees over the the months of uh, of the first six months, they they're, they're starting to go visibly. You can see British power waning and draining away. Now, of course, the, the the big question is what was going to replace them. Isn't it amazing? Just to pause you for a second, uh, Gabriel. Like you know, say Kilworth Camp, and at some point, some vehicle drove out the gate, 
and some fellow waved them off yes. and closed the gate behind them and walked into to yeah. the, well, to, I mean, to the, their the, place the, now. The British leave and the, the IRA walk in. Uh, the IRA and the British have to, in effect, concede the military honours. Uh, flag because, comes down, yes, yes. new flag goes all, up. All that, all that type Jeez. of thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah. What it must have been like for people then uh, doing that? Yes, um, scary. The prospect in front of them. Well, it's it's very interesting. I saw an excerpt in the newspaper, uh, and and just to show that sort of the practical hard realities of life are, are ever present, even in the most symbolically resonant of, of, of moments. Almost as soon as the British Army are gone, people start going in and start trying to take bits of the land for themselves, in effect, saying this was our family's uh, estate or nobody's working this land, the IRA going to need it. It, 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 we can use this to graze sheep or graze cattle or, or whatever. So as soon as, as soon as the army's gone... Fight before the spoils. Exactly, exactly. And, and understandably so. Yeah. I mean, you, you have people who uh, who need land and there's a desperate land, land hunger and as soon as the British start evacuating, not just the barracks within the cities, but certainly something like Moorpark, which was a training camp, uh, had been used, for example, to train soldiers prior to being deployed in the First World War, then that, that becomes prime real estate. So Victoria Barracks, uh, now Collins yes. Barracks here in Cork, would, would likely still have been occupied for it. But anyway, the pullout begins yes. slowly and yep. it, it takes it takes some time. Well, I mean, it takes time, but I mean, the British are true to their word. Uh, what, what they don't want to do is to, to give the IRA any easy targets because they know that there is a fractured opinion uh, within Ireland and they realise that there is the potential for, let's say, anti-treaty IRA yes. to take pot shots at the British on the departing when, when they're vulnerable. And actually on that, like it, most of those who fought in the War of Independence were anti-treaty, were, yes. were, were, yeah. were not happy yeah. with it. Um, the, 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 the second doll is, still, is meeting in what is now the National Concert Hall, uh, which either then or later became UCD, yeah. uh, Earlsford Terrace, yeah. just up from St. Stephen's Green for yeah. anyone who wants to wander around Dublin. That's where they are sitting yeah. and meeting. It's where the treaty debates uh, occur. Um, they have the handover. The British obviously presumably take some time to, to, to leave Dublin Castle. They do, uh, they do. The Irish uh, provisional government, I suppose, make the wise decision of deciding to keep the civil service. They keep it, albeit, I mean, one of the things they had to, to consider was that they had their own Doyle civil service, which was quite small, mm. but had, had worked, performed wonders uh, under very, very difficult and conditions. And that, that includes courts... Exactly, uh, and and Department of Local Government and, and so on and so forth. So you had a, a series of difficult decisions as to how best to, to merge. You want to keep the expertise, but the, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't a purge. No, because, no, no, because no. They're very. They're, they're, how, yeah. how do you how do you how do you start a country from zero? Other places have done that. Yes, and found, and, it, very and, and found it very very difficult. So I mean, it was ultimately a pretty wise decision, a pragmatic decision. Mm. Uh, it's not necessarily replicated in every instance. For example, with regard to the police, uh, the, there's only the, the the decision is taken early on to abolish the RIC mm. um, and replace it with a new police force, and there is only a limited extent to which members of the RIC are incorporated. Some of them do, but most of the members of the RIC, in effect, believe that the country would be too hot a place for them. Mm. Uh, once, once the protection of the British military and the British Gosh. political regime uh, had been removed, so they they aren't part of the the fabric of the new civil guard to any great extent. Uh, another decision, then, of course, is the creation of your own army, uh, an official national army. Uh, Collins had, had, as it were, a, a big decision to take there, whether to in effect build up the existing IRA, but he knew, as you mentioned. Uh, minutes or two ago that the the overwhelming body of opinion within the IRA was anti-treaty or to create a new 
in effect, official state army. And, and he goes down, he, it, to a certain extent, he tries to do both. Mm. He goes down the latter route and starts recruiting for, for the what was to become the national army. But at the same time, he does his best to keep in with the anti-treaty IRA, primarily through attack on the north. I mean, that, that's well, that's what I was going to say. So the truce is uh, the truce is uh, mid nineteen twenty one, yep. but but the struggle continues yes. up north, yep. and 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 a lot of those who were fighting the war were sort of diverted. When I say diverted, it was like, how do I keep these boys kind of? Uh, well, I don't know if that was the, the reasoning that went into well, it. Well, I mean, it's not. It's not. I mean, but they were sort of sent north to kind of go well, it, carry it, it's, on it's there. Two ways: it, 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 they're fighting the north, they're not fighting in the south. But why? Mm. And is that, is that so? The truce. Who's the truce between if it, if if the north is still a, an area of conflict? Yeah. The, the, the truce was between, in effect, the Crown forces and uh, the IRA. Mm. But, of course, that didn't mean that you, you could control uh, the orange crowd in, in the north. And, of course, uh, there were elements within... So are nationalists being persecuted in the north through this yes, period? Yes. Now, uh, now, of course, unionists argued that there was also a degree of violence on the other side. Um, but, but for the most part, g- given the, the creation of the special constabulary, which had already occurred in 1921, given the fact that the new... RUC uh, was being uh, recruited to replace the RIC in the north. And the fact that you still had the fact that British troops, when they were leaving their barracks in the south, many of them went to the north. Mm. Uh, so the, 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 the establishment, the British interest in the north, whether you're talking about unofficial forces because or official the, forces, if, was still huge. Because if the truce is mid-1921, that's roughly the, the... Well, I suppose what they just commemorated, the 100 years of Northern Ireland. No, that was that was, the, that was mid-21 as well. Yeah. So kind of the Northern Ireland state has come into effect. Yes, the Northern Ireland state is absolutely up and running. Up and running. Yes. That, that border is a thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, so hence why when truce is signed down south between the IRA and the British Army, they head off up north. Well, not immediately. It's more after the the treaty split Uh, because it suits both sides, as it were. So there is actually a six months of more or less down tools. Well, I I wouldn't say it's it's down tools. It, It tended to be more sort of communal violence, uh, particularly in places like Belfast, where it was very difficult for anybody to uh, exert really complete control. Uh, we're, we're just having the film Belfast mm. coming out now, which deals with the outbreak of violence in the north in 1969. And in late 1921, you had very similar circumstances where the IRA existed, but couldn't, in effect, control all the Catholic population or couldn't protect all of them. And likewise, on the other side, for all that the effort had been made to, in the creation of the special constabulary and the recruitment of the RUC uh, to try and control the the violence on the orange side of the house that wasn't always possible either mm. so that that issue of communal violence was 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 a, a, an element of the situation in the north that was very very difficult to control but to the extent to which after the treaty split has occurred it suits both sides of that divide to, to unite and fight the common enemy which is depending on your point of view either the british in northern ireland or the existence of the northern ireland state um, so and, and this is one part of Collins's very complex strategy. Uh, he, he's keeping in with his mm. former comrades, as it were, uh, by you by sponsoring their fight against Northern Ireland, against the border, while at the same time talking directly to James Craig uh, about things like the Boundary Commission, about the Belfast boycott, about reinstatement of Catholic workers who had been driven out of, of the shipyards. So, and the Belfast boycott was an effort by nationalists to economically strangle the Northern Irish yes, state. Yes, and had been had been undertaken during the War of Independence. Uh, it, it had had some effect 
Uh, it's probably fair to say that it had more of a, a damaging impact upon sort of the, some of the population in Northern Ireland rather than the Northern Ireland state per se, uh, because in effect the economy of the North being export-oriented, uh, it, it, there was a limited extent to which so the nationalists could, could really damage that. Uh, and again, for those who haven't heard the previous podcast, you know what's... You mentioned it already uh, tonight... The Northern Ireland uh, government had to opt out of the free state. The free yep. state that the British offered uh, us or the provisional government or, or the IRA was a 32-county free state, yes. with the Northern Irish state being given the option to opt out, yep. which they voted on or they took. Yes, they, they decided. Um, now, but it, well, so, I think what's really important to remember is that the British government, which was dominated by Conservatives, and the said Brit- they shouldn't do that. Yes, they wanted a united. They wanted they, they Ireland wanted, to remain. They, uh, they wanted a united. Uh, with, a single entity. A single entity. It, it, it was more difficult. It was more complex from the British point of view to have one part of Ireland within the United mm. Kingdom, another part separate from the United Kingdom, but in the Empire. Mm. They had got everything they wanted, as it were, in the treaty negotiations, in the sense that you had oath of allegiance, recognition of dominion status, free trade. So the the, the terms that the British had, had been able to, depending on your point of view, uh, uh, obtained from the Irish or imposed upon the Irish were satisfactory. Uh, and it made more sense from a British point of view to have them administered over the whole... And they spoke as such in the House of Commons. Yes, absolutely. And, and th- these are some people who had... The unionists in the north had thought to be their their most sincerest, uh, most sincere allies. People like Lord Birkenhead, uh, Austin Chamberlain. That they all said to the north, "We think it's in your interest. We think it's in our interest. We think it's in Ireland's interest that you vote to reunite mm. with uh, with the rest of Ulster." Of course, because there were three counties of Ulster mm. that had been excluded, even though unionists originally had been organised on a nine-county basis. And also it means that you can reunite with the South, including the Southern Unionist mm. uh, population, who otherwise you're, you're, you're leaving, as it were, in the lurch. And there's been much talk of how Southern Nationalists abandoned Northern Nationalists, but let's not forget that Northern Unionists abandoned Southern Well, I mean, to the, to the extent to which it was the Northern Unionists who voted themselves out of a 30-county entity, rather than, as it were, the Southern Nationalists voting voting themselves out of... Uh, of True. It. It, it, the, the, the responsibility lay more w- on the Unionist side. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, that's... that's so the British uh, are, are committing themselves. Now, what, what they also do is they also say, but it's your choice. We're not going to coerce you or force you to come to this decision, and it's it's going to be your choice. And it was abundantly clear to everybody that the unionists were going to vote themselves out. But, of course, if they did... The Boundary Commission was down the there, line. There was a provision for a Boundary Commission. There, yep. and there could be swaps both sides. It yep. could end up with a state so small that it wasn't viable. Yep. Of course, we know that didn't happen. Yep. Uh, probably th- there was an element of fatigue in, in, in everything around this yes. period. They've yep. come through a long period of war, never mind a world war. Yep. Uh, this war of independence, I think that's a really important Spanish point. flu. Yeah, a really important point is that you had... 10 years of basically sort of everything being up in the air. You'd had the Home Rule crisis between 1912 and 1914 with the threat of uh, war in Ireland. You'd had so the, the 
crisis over female vote. You'd had Labour disputes, the Dublin lockout, and there continue to be really acute Labour difficulties at this point. In fact, arguably, that's the, the Cinderella aspect of the story, the story that's never really uh, discussed is just how difficult the Labour situation was. There were strikes, railway strikes, post office strikes, agricultural worker strikes going on at the moment. And, and the, one of the arguments in favour of the treaty is that we need to address these questions quickly uh, in order that we don't have some sort of social uh, revolution. You then had the First World War, you'd had 1916 rising, you had the threat of conscription, you'd had the War of Independence, you'd had partition, etc. And, and that I think that degree of weariness and the, the, the desire just to get back to normal. I think nowadays, after two years of, of coronavirus, Maybe I think we, we can ha- probably understand that a little bit better than well, we would have done two or three years ago. I was ago. surprised there wasn't more reference made in, in recent, uh, looking back at the hundred years ago, more reference made to that, um, you know, the Spanish flu pandemic was yes. l- arguably over by 1922. But, yes, ultimately. But that yeah. more wasn't made now yeah. of saying, and by the way, yes. um, all through this period, there was a global pandemic. Yes. And, and, because and we know what that is now. Yes, and, and it had most certainly affected everyday life mm. uh, in, in any number of meaningful well, ways. Well, we refer to the fatigue to the Boundary Commission and, uh, you know, the, what I would have remembered from school was that, you know, there was a, a, an Irish Southern representative, there was a, a, a Northern no. Unionist representative and there was a, an independent, and a, 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 but it was... A, a South African judge. A South African judge. Um, Feetham. Uh, I, I mean... How it was sort of portrayed to us in school was that where else was a South African judge going to side except with Northern Unionists? Well, I mean, the, the way... Now, the, I don't know, is that fair? Uh, you know, I the, mean, re, re, remember the South Africans had, had fought the British. The British themselves, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, at the same, and, but at the same time, uh, I, I think the fact that sort of an empire appointment, it was always going to be an but, empire appointment. You know, no, I, you're never going to get I mean, a truly independent... Yeah, but maybe this is a silly thing too. You know, they, they, they were Dutch, they were Protestant, they had an orange free state. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know the you know the, the orange in the north was the yeah. same orange as the orange free yeah. state it's yeah. the the color of the netherlands I mean, the color, it, color of prince, ultimate, prince ultimate william it comes down to the wording of uh, the provisions within the the treaty uh, and in effect the judge says this the wor- this wording means a six county northern ireland must still exist at the end of the, the revisions, that, that you can adjust, that you can tamper with where exactly. Well, I'm not the sure if was. anyone agreed with that. No, no, that, that, but that that was his. Who said that? That's, well, that's thanks for that. That that's what <laughs> that the, the, I interpret as mm. a judge the meaning of this mm. clause mm. to be. Now, if you have a look at, for example, Lloyd George during the British parliamentary debate in Westminster, he his statement. Can, I, I would read it as, as in effect saying, well, I think, at least for Manor and Tyrone, if this Boundary Commission works as we think it should work, would be transferred. And if for Manor and Tyrone would go, you'd, you'd also automatically assume South Armagh, West Derry, West Derry including Derry City, mm. uh, would would be transferred. Mm. Uh, but, of course, he, he said, but it's uh, it's not up to me. It's up to the Boundary Commission, and and that's that's merely my reading of what's been agreed. And was it the case that it's not necessarily that that judge had um, the dominant say, but he was just backed by by 
the, 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 well, I mean, the unionists who was like, yes, I totally well, agree. What's interesting is that, of course, that the unionists hate the boundary, the very notion of the boundary mm. commission. That anyone ha- could come in and alter anything on them. Well, exactly. I mean, they said, remember going back to the 1920 Government of Ireland Act, they had opposed that act. They opposed any form of home rule. They said, this is a concession on our part to accept home rule, to accept a, a Belfast Parliament. We did not want it. We oppose it. But this is our contribution, as it were, to try and okay. achieve a, a successful, peaceful outcome uh, of the Irish difficulty. And, but they said, but we have been guaranteed that that border is inviolable. Mm. And yet now we find it's not. The very people who a year ago had promised us the six counties and not, not an inch of territory uh, will be changed without our consent uh, are now, are now so agreeing So they to feel slightly hoodwinked by yes, that. And where, did, and where did that come along? So they're, they're given their parliament, they're told six counties, you've accepted home rule, this is your part of it. Yes. You didn't want home rule, but look, if you take that, you stay within the union, we'll yes. deal with the other yes. bit. Uh, where does it come along to say, oh, and by the way, we've agreed that there'll be a boundary commission? Well, it's, it's partly, it's Lloyd George. Mm. negotiating tactic. It, that's, and that's in the treaty. Yes. That's uh, part of... I mean, and, and now and it's, it, it's and very it, interesting. And is this what allows Collins and the like to kind of go, okay... To sell the treaty, in effect. Stepping to say, stone. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and it's very interesting, looking back at the original cabinet discussions back in 1919 about the Boundary Commission, the very first person I can find suggesting a Boundary Commission, this is back in 1919, was actually, believe it or not, James Craig. Uh, he because he faced the prospect then of all nine counters uh, of Ulster being part of a home rule, part, and there'd be the too many plan. nationalists. And there'd be too many. I'm using the term nationalists uh, over Catholic and Protestant because it's an well, unfortunate. Well, I mean, it was on the basis that their nationalism, but, the, but but certainly at that time anyway, and pro- probably still to a degree, it would have been defined as too many Catholics. Yes, exactly. Well, but I mean, because I Catholic meant nationalist. Yes, exactly. But I mean, so so the, the unionists wanted to to avoid, and and we have the documents to prove that. I mean, there's mm. there's no. Mm debate about the fact that unionists put pressure on the British government to reduce the size of Ulster in 1920 to six counties in order to make sure that it was manageable and that they had a, a secure majority. That That isn't wow. up for debate. So it's, 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 it's a, a huge-scale gerrymandering. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, and, and remember, of course, this involved, from a union's perspective... For, for protective get, purposes. Get, getting rid of the unionists, selling the unionists in Donegal, yep. in Cavan yep. and Monaghan, yep. who had been part of the Ulster Unionist Council. Well, for all of them, they were kind of like, what, what, what is this madness? Yeah, well, what, I mean, what, what, the, the, I mean, it was... It it was a very, depending on your period, either magnanimous gesture by the unionists in the three other also counters, mm. or, or madness uh, mm. to, to to get to agree to that. Well, but sorry, from their point of view, I mean, presumably they 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 would have always known that they lived in the midst of of people who resented the foreign domination as it was perceived by Catholic stroke nationalists. But that's precisely the point: is that they now found themselves on the wrong side mm. of that border. Mm. Which may, but which so may, for them, the madness would have been Irish people generally wanting an independent exactly. Ireland in the first place. Yes, yes. Or maybe that was just always their great fear. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I, I think fear of, of, of rule from Dublin, fear of the Catholic majority, mm. uh, either on religious basis or on the basis of so economic interests. Uh, and, and Fear of potentially being dominated in the way that they had dominated. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's when... <laughs> the you, boot would be on the other foot. It's hard to look at it in any any other way. Um, so, despite the crowds gathering outside Dublin Castle on that fateful day, uh, the, the handover occurs, uh, the, the state is put together slowly and painfully. At what point, without, because we covered it quite a bit uh, 
and it's a tricky, tricky story. There's no way we can skim over it. But at what point are the four courts occupied? The four courts are occupied, I think, by the in, anti-treaty forces. Yeah, in, off the top, of it, it's in it's in May. I'd have to check. Oh the yeah, no, I, but yeah. but but it's is, it, it's it, in the spring of 1922. Oh, they're there the whole oh 1922. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So the so the so the handover happens in Dublin Castle in in January of uh, 1922. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, and, and, and sorry, fourteenth of April. Fourteenth. Fourteenth of April. Okay, so the, so there's a period of months there where where the the provisional government are trying to put things together and and yep. the British are are making their way out and making their plans. And, and, and another crucial aspect from Collins's point of view is the the constitution. His plan is to draw up, in effect, a republican constitution. And if he could do that, he could present it to the anti-treaty forces and saying this is the biggest stepping stone. This is proof that my strategy works because we will now have a Republican constitution. And so in that in the draft, there was no mention of the oath of allegiance, no mention of dominion status. And Collins gave a very clever answer to the British. The British had said in the treaty, you must model your constitution on the Canadian example. Mm. And he said, but the Canadians could give themselves this constitution. Uh, that, that Britain has given up the power of drawing up Canada's constitution. So uh, uh, as things stood at that moment, Canada had a certain constitution, mm. but there was nothing legally the mm. British could do to stop the Canadians adopting a, an effective Republican constitution. So Colin says, we are only we are doing what we are committed to do, which is to, to model ourselves on the Canadian model, but we're just we're going further than the Canadians have at the moment, and we're proposing this type of constitution. The British, in effect, say, nice try, uh, but no, uh, we're, we're not allowing you, in effect, to ignore the commitments that you've given under the treaty within a matter of months of, of having signed a treaty. And that was a big blow to Collins because, he, in effect, he then has to, in effect, write into the Free State Constitution all those objectionable things which he, had, he himself was personally opposed to. Now, again, and this comes back to the Oath of Allegiance. The oath, under, the oath, under the terms of the treaty, the Oath of Allegiance was to the Irish Constitution. Your loyalty was to the constitution, not to the crown per se. You you had fidelity to the crown, but your loyalty was to the constitution. So Colin's strategy was that if you could remove all the bad parts of the treaty from the text of the constitution, you could give your loyalty to that constitution. Any Republican could, in good faith. Uh, It's only when the British, in effect, say no, and that you have to include all of these things that we know the Republicans are opposed to on principle, like the Oath of Allegiance, mm. into the text of the Constitution, that's, that's when that strategy falls down. Uh, but Collins, and, and again we have the documents, that, I mean, the British were very uncertain as to what Collins's game was at this point. They said, we can trust Griffith. Uh, Griffith is playing a straight game. He's, he's honouring the commitments that he entered into back in December. We cannot say the same about Collins. We believe he is trying to keep in too much with his former comrades. Uh, we're not sure exactly what's going on with regard to the North, but we're pretty sure he must be involved in it some way. Which he is. Which he was. And and therefore, the British started looking at Collins, having been the biggest fish that they captured, as it were, in the net, in the signing of the treaty in December 1921. What they fear is that he's, he's escaping from their clutches. Uh, but from that point of view, therefore, the the decision that Collins had to take in effect to, to adopt the British terms uh, on the constitution w- was huge. Uh, the British in effect said, if you, if you don't do this, we're going to start having to think about stopping the military pullout. Uh, 
Which they also did if you don't deal with the the, the, the renegades in the forecourts. Yeah. Um, and so that's about six months in. So you're they're in there from about May, and it's around June or July when yeah. when the British kind of say, "Listen, you do you do this, or else we're 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 yeah. we're not." It's about two, about two months between the occupation mm. of the forecourts in, in April. And I mean, it was a, it was a funny occupation. They were coming and going yes, and going to the shops was, and exactly. going whatever. Well, and, but again, that was typical of of the uh, time. I mean, mm. as far and they as were half ignored of, to begin with. Well, yes, and, and but but the, there was no sense in which. And what were they occupying for? What were they? What were they saying? Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, the obvious target to have occupied, if you were going to do, was probably the GPO. But of course, the GPO was still in ruins at this point, yeah. uh, as was the customs house. So it, it was, it was the centre of law in Ireland. That was where the, the yes. then as now yes. the legal system. Yes. So in practical terms, it was a direct challenge to British law. Most of the laws that were being administered were still British law. Mm. I mean, that had been another decision that the, the the provisional government had taken. That in effect, the law, the British law of the land, as it applied and has been developed over the, the, the centuries, it remains in place until we change it. Mm. Uh, so from that point of view, it, it had a, much the same way as the takeover of the Dublin Castle had a symbolic and practical mm. resonance from the provisional point, government's point of view. The takeover of the four courts had a practical and symbolic resonance from a Republican to point say, of view. To say, we don't accept this yes. and we're not going away. Yes. And, but, and but, the, but it's not clear what we mean or what we're going to do. Exactly, exactly. And, and to a certain extent, it's sort of, it's almost a mirror image of 1916 where you occupy a fixed position. Yeah. Now, you don't start shooting straight away, but occupying fixed positions had been shown in 1916 to be an unwise Idea. And of course, when but they were all, uh, arguably offering themselves up as, as, a, as, a, as a come and have a go a if you yeah. want that mess. Yeah, yeah, well, but 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 that was the point is yeah. that they were doing that. Whereas, of course, sacrificial the, lambs. Well, the IRA's success in the War of Independence had been the exact opposite, in making sure that there was mm. no sitting, yeah. Yeah, there it's, was it's no a, target in the in the cross. Yeah, it's it's a contrary. Uh, but but it, then it, but then they couldn't run that sort of operation. Well, again I mean, it, it, it was very difficult then to, as it were to make a statement uh, by doing anything other than doing so, doing what they did, make a, a take over a building. Other than, other than there were other, the, probably the only other thing they could have done, which is, of course, what they do do in June, which is to assassinate a senior British figure. Mm. Uh, and, now, in is, June, and is that the point where the Brits go, hey, Collins? Yes. I mean, the, the British make... What's a, going a, on here? The British make an entirely false connection. In effect, they say that the assassination of Henry Wilson in London in June of 1922, there is a causal link between them and the, the four courts. There wasn't. If anything, the causal connection was to Collins, not to the anti-treaty Republicans. I mean, it, there's still not, not every aspect of the assassination of Henry Wilson has been uh, answered, but it seems to have been simply uh, a, an order that had been issued some time before by Collins uh, that was implemented by the IRA on the spot in London, uh, even though, of course, the context had, had radically changed. Yeah, but, but as far as the British government were concerned, they didn't want to hear the truth. Uh, in effect, what they wanted to hear that was there a connection with the four. And who was Wilson that he was that he was? He had been. He was. He was arguably the, the most senior. Uh, British military figure. He was the military advisor to the Northern Ireland government, uh, which, of course, from a practical point of view, made him uh, a target for the IRA. He were, he had been uh, a leading British general during the First World War. He despised the British political class. He called them frocks, and that was a, so the ultimate term of, ins uh, of insult. Uh, he was appalled by what had happened. The, the equivalent with the of the time the of big girls' blouses. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he, he'd been appalled at the, the, the truce, uh, as far as he was concerned, that, that 
was a concession to the the murder gang. Mm. Uh, but so it does he, seem bizarre though that he was that he was assassinated so so long after. Exactly. I mean, there are a number of questions about that that killing that still remain confusing. Mm. Uh, partly, I suppose, as many uh, killings at that time, if you look at them at the micro level, are simply because, of course, we don't have the full documents. And mm. some of those who were in the loop, as it were, like Michael Collins, mm. died before they could ever uh, explain things or put, commit things mm. to paper. True. So an oddity, but the British use it as a, a well, not even use it, but they kind of go, listen, it's getting out of hand. Well, no, they do use it. I mean, the, the, I, I don't think there was any, there was no evidence that they had to, to make the connection, but they they look upon the four courts garrison, but they didn't really want to be changing their minds. They didn't, you know. So they must have been irked. They must oh, have been like, "Listen, we've signed this thing. We've yes, done this deal. That, this is whole, all rolling yeah. forward. Well, what yeah. are we? Can you stop this?" Yes, and 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 you, Collins, you now have to get off the fence, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you have to make the decision. And he's left with that tricky decision yeah. of like, I could, I we we could still have the British sitting here. Uh, well, the, the British say, "If you don't do it, we will." But. Could he have continued to have sort of stayed on the fence? No, no, I, I think that's the, that's I mean, the like, point. I mean, like, attack them, but only half attack them. No, I think that's the point where the, the British, I mean, the, the British were thoroughly cheesed off at this point because, yeah. in fact, they, they, they said that we've taken political risks mm. with our future, mm. uh, that, that there are many issues. There may not be lethal risks, but the, 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 the future of this government can be said to be hanging on mm. the trust that, that, that we've invested in you. And if you betray that trust, then don't expect us to deal with you with, with kid gloves. And, mm. and I mean, I, I can show you again documents where the British started thinking about using gas to attack the four courts. Uh, now, Because the, the British no. are still there, so they can actually deal with it. Yes, absolutely. So they're kind of going, listen, lads, we're not gone. Yeah, we're, we're exactly. still here. They and, haven't gone away, you if know. If you don't go over there, yes, we, we they haven't will. gone away, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 in, and, in and the British context. were prepared to use air power. They had the RAF was still there. They had bombers. Uh, and it would have been a very simple matter to bomb from the air because there would have been no anti-aircraft. And it might have even calmed public opinion in the UK over this assassination in, in, in exactly. London. And so if it, like if you don't go and take action in yeah. some some kind of uh, some kind of response, yeah. um, we'll need to. And, and if we need to, then if we need to, then we're still in charge. You're yeah. not. That, that, there was some substance to the British fears that this might portend, as it were, a, a, an onslaught of the anti-treaty IRA in London, the mainland campaign. Carl Brewer had planned mm. to assassinate the entire British cabinet in London uh, and, and had sent over, as it were, scouts to, to see whether it was possible. The British hadn't had word of that, but the British did genuinely fear that if, they could, if the IRA, the anti-treaty IRA, could take out a sort of a senior figure as Henry Wilson, then the, the next names on their list might well be members of the cabinet so and uh, well and, and and something we discussed right at the start was where we talked about how significant this was for the British Empire at its zenith to actually yep. let part of its 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 national territory go yep. as as it saw it and we there probably isn't an answer as to as to how that actually well ultimately well, well we know how it happened well one of the arguments that the British did think about was and we mentioned this earlier on was was opinion in the dominions i mean the the the, the British position in Australia during the first world war had been completely compromised by the Australian Irish anger at, at how Ireland was being treated so the, the the conscription hadn't been applied in Australia during the first world war because the Irish especially in the, the Catholic Church in Australia had come out so strongly against it the Irish in Canada uh, the limited numbers in, in South Africa, the Irish in New Zealand. So if you could solve the Irish question, it, it would really 
help you in terms of managing your empire. And this was another reason why getting rid of partition from a British point of view would have been a good idea because they knew that getting rid of partition would have helped to kill two birds with one stone. Perhaps even more important, they argued that this would help to improve relations with America. Uh, the, uh, the opinion in America had been scandalised by some of the things that the British had, had done. Now, the British had been able to manage public opinion in America using their own outlets and their own sympathetic press. People like the, the Hearst Empire was, was sympathetic to, to what some of the things the British had done. But at the same time, they, they realised that at the diplomatic level, there had been a number of complications caused, not least of which, of course, was that America hadn't ratified the Versailles Treaty, largely because of the Irish in the, in the Democratic Party, which was in power in places like Boston and New York and Chicago, had said, we're not accepting this because it, it, it keeps Britain in the uh, empire. So, so from that point of view, the British, were, the, 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 if one wishes, wishes to come up with an answer, why did the British agree to do this, is because they believed that the, the global benefits of coming to a mm. settlement with Ireland, wow. even one which was humiliating to Britain, would in the long run bring greater benefits. For a country of so relatively few people, the soft power that Ireland exerted yeah. internationally in British dominions yes. as a result of the emigration arguably forced on the Irish people yes. by virtue of not being able to develop their own country. And the Irish in America perhaps even more so. I mean, the, the Irish bring their, their, their democratic mobilisation. I mean, the Irish probably were arguably mobilised democratically by people like Daniel O'Connell at, at one of the earliest points in history. I mean, if you have a look at what O'Connell had done in the middle of the 19th century, the Irish famine emigrants bring that degree of political organisation over to America. And if you're having a look at things that the origins of Tammany Hall mm. And, mm. and all that machine politics, mm. which is so important to the Democratic Party mm. in the big urban states of the East, a huge amount of that is driven by the Irish. Mm. They're the ones who are the mayors of Boston, mm. who are the mayors of New York. They're the ones who control the wards because they have learned these techniques mm. under sort of in one of the best schools of all, which is British-occupied mm. uh, Ireland. So the, the British really Realise that, and the British know that that, that that this group has caused a lot of problems well, those, for the those, those, And those techniques were induced by the the struggle. Yes, the, I mean, and, yeah. it's, and, it, and it just speaks to that huge desire of of Irish people of all hues, sizes, shapes, and colours uh, through history to sort of shake off the yoke. Yes, and and, 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 and to bring about self determination. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, you talked about constitution earlier, and ultimately that is it. Mm. Having the freedom to constitute yourself, yes. to decide your constitution, how is. will it be? This, this and, is going to be we, an Irish constitution. And we will make that decision for ourselves. Mm. I mean, Sinn Féin, ourselves yeah, alone. The, for, the, for, for, Collins, the directive that Collins gives the, the constitutional committee is make this as republican and democratic mm. as possible. Uh, it has to be consistent, as it were, with one reading, a narrow reading of the treaty. But as far as the republicans were concerned, they were in the vanguard of the democratic revolution. Mm. That democracy wasn't just simply a question of an electoral system. It was more about meritocracy. It was more about transformation of, of the economy. It was more about culture. And and, and, and and it was also really the only means that we had to actually affect change for ourselves because we weren't, we, we, I mean, the ebb and flow of Irish history between, you know, Armalite, ball, the ballot box, the Armalite and the ballot box, to use the more modern term uh, of the strategy of the IRA, you know, is it votes or is it guns? Yeah. And and the, the story of Irish history ebbs and flows between but, those but periods. The, 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 as it were, there's another aspect of that, as it were, to use the Northern Ireland mm. an, analogy, which is sort of the 
greening of the White House, which took place in the 1990s with Bill Clinton mm. being more sympathetic, mm. then you could argue that the greening of the Democratic Party in the late 19th and early 20th century in America had created this scope for internationalizing the Irish conflict. So it wasn't just a question of small Ireland against big Britain. You had the looming power of the United States. And as you mentioned, the Irish in, in, in many of the other dominions too. Yes. Oh. I, I almost, you know, there's loads of areas I'd like to bring it, but we're, we're talking a long time again. And, <laughs> and, and I had actually wanted to bring it into, I wanted to sort of tie in because it's a living history. It's, you know, we live, it's a hundred years from all all of those events. Um, and, it, you know, Britain is still in Ireland, yes. just a smaller part of Ireland. Yes. The story is, is arguably not... Out of, out of finish. I mean, of course, remember, under the terms of the treaty, the British remained in the south, in parts of the yes. south. Yes, Bear uh, Island. Well, yes, uh, Castan Bear, Cove. Dunleary, although... Loch Swilly. Did they change their name straight away? Uh, or did they Dunley, remain? I think, as far as, Kingstown, the Queenstown. Cove had already changed its name during the War of Independence after the elections, the local elections in 1920. And I would be pretty sure that the same thing had happened with Kingstown stroke after the the local elections in 1920 uh, but I mean the, the British the British still remain there now the, the presence is greatly reduced obviously but it's still a military presence I mean it's still and, and it, it, it's the most important aspect of military presence which is the Navy I mean the mm. British mm. prioritise naval affairs above all other things well let's see can we wrap up this because I, I, I kind of thought we you know because we're, we're covering overground but in a deeper way than we did in the previous uh, chat the last uh, podcast chat which covered a lot of this territory too although we haven't really talked too much about the civil war maybe the roots of it in this yeah. um, but I was going to bring it into more modern terms but I might have just have to uh, see if you're uh, willing to come back another time because it, it is about how I'd like to try to tie in that time to what came next and how that still uh, is 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 current now yes and yeah. and, and, and you know, because you know, with the fifty years of Bloody Sunday recently, uh, we've this week news of the the the, the British state colluding with uh, with with loyalist gangs to commit murder in in the north. Yes. Um, there's, you know, it's still so live, and yet yet then you've Joe Brawley, a Northern Nationalist, talking about how uh, you know Southern Nationalists ignore people in the north. They think they're like two different tribes, yeah. um, and. and 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 many other responses of that ilk that uh, is actually too deep and detailed to go into right now. Just but I but I'd like to go into it with you perhaps uh, another time. But just to perhaps skate a little bit through uh, the British say you don't deal with this. We're going to have to deal with this. Collins bites the bullet that he tried to avoid for so long, and, attacks and the four courts, yes. and we have a a, a year long, a two year long. Well, it's it's probably it's about a year long, but most of the the serious fighting was over really by yeah. by August. Mm. Uh, so it's June, Fair, July, so that's, and that's fast. But then there's just the lingering impacts of well, it. And then, but then you have a guerrilla campaign yes. that, that is in the sort of monster area in West Cork and Kerry and, and places, uh, and in isolated spots elsewhere. And that, that is a pretty brutal winter of 1922-23. It really is. I mean, there's some very deeply disturbing things happen. We mentioned in the past chat about an amphibious landing in a number of areas, including Cork, yeah. uh, and a fight into Cork City from uh, from Passage West up through the old Rochestown Blackrock Railway line. Yeah. Um, the IRA, you know, it, it, is that one of the reasons why Cork is known as the uh, the real capital? Well, I mean, it, it, it was assumed, I don't think rightly assumed, that Republicans would have a better hearing in Cork than perhaps 
perhaps in parts of the West or, or, or East. And the city for about a six-month period was held by anti-treaty forces. Well, it was in effect held by, and certainly Collins Barracks, for example, have been held by anti-treaty forces. So they're cleared out of the city. Uh, Collins goes on a, on a tour, on a, a, you know, a, a sort of a morale-raising tour and an inspection. Well, it, it, there's also a practical aspect to his arrival because he, he believes that the Republicans have a lot of money stored away in various different banks uh, in Cork City and elsewhere. And as somebody who knew his onions when it came to, to hunting those down, uh, he, he wanted to go after those. Griffith, uh, has he, he dies? He died a, just uh, before. Uh, Collins, uh, I think it's August the 12th, is it? Just about 10 days before Collins. Wow. Uh, so um, so Cosgrove takes over as the major political figure. Yep. Um, General Mulcahy is the head of the Irish forces, I think, who, who leads the amphibious landing. And, and I might sometime, I might see if you can uh, get me John Borgen over for a chat because he wrote the book yep. on that, didn't he? Which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, uh, Collins is killed. And then the the the... the the, the nascent Irish Free State arguably behaves worse than the British. Yep. Did is that yes. too no, strong? I mean, well, I mean, in terms of the number of internment executions, I mean, executions, I mean, they, they do. The, the, the birth of a nation is worth. Yes, exactly. I mean, I can't remember the exact figures cited by. But isn't there a uh, phrase you use? About, about ten thousand is worth is worth the lives of ten thousand or something like that. I oh, mean, he, he said something yeah, along those lines. Absolutely, I, I don't have the exact quote to hand, but mm. it's it's. it's in effect, along those lines, the, 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 the ends will justify no, the means. There's almost no limit to what the free state and that should be prepared huge, to do. So, post Collins dying is where the greatest level of bitterness in the civil it war is, it comes is. from, uh, and that's where, and it, it's on both sides, of course. Remember, because the IRA themselves uh, carry out a number of actions which are the cause of tremendous business on the free state side, and vice versa. And you have execute, you have executions of prisoners, you have. Uh, some appalling things done in Kerry. Who is leading the anti-treaty forces and call uh, and, and lay down your arms? Because there is a lay down your arms point. Well, there isn't is. There? I mean, Liam Lynch would have been the death of Liam Lynch in the spring of 1922. Was was really the last the spring time. of 1922? Sorry, 23, 23, 23, 23, yeah. 23. Yeah, that makes more uh, sense. Now, at, at that stage, it's probably fair to say that the IRA were a beaten docket. Mm. I mean, they really hadn't much as it were, much to, to inflict to, uh, themselves upon the free states. I mean, the, the, the numbers had dwindled over the winter mm. in terms of and the, equipment the, and sources. And the fatigue. And, 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 fatigue. and it's probably fair to say public support yes. as well. Well, that was the other thing too, even in the treaty was like, um, I think they, they rested for the weekend ahead of the treaty debates and the vote and, and, and the, kind of the feedback to a lot of the deputies who, who maybe would have, uh, you know, their, their feeling might have been to reject the treaty, yeah. but they've, they've very firmly got the message yeah. from people to say... Well, there's, a, there's at least one deputy... Take who, the treaty. We, we're, we, we, we want to move on. Yeah, there's at least one deputy who resigns. He sees over... To, to avoid having to vote. Exactly, because he, he says, I'm anti-treaty, but I know that my constituents are mm. pro-treaty. Mm. So that, uh, that, that swings a lot. The mood of the people are kind of yeah. like, well, there's only so much we can take. Yeah, uh, now, I and mean, as you mentioned earlier, we, we've come through a, a two-year difficult period. We, we know what it's like where you kind of want to... like Just get back to... Yeah, back to can, 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 now, we, now, can we just move on? Uh, again, I suppose that the, the anti-treaty argument that you using the, the famous phrase by Liam Mellows that this wasn't the will of the people, this was the fear of the people. Uh, the fatigue of the people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, there were, there were arguments batted back and forth as to... I, I don't think there's much of a, a debate or a doubt that public opinion, generally speaking, certainly the longer the Civil War went on, was becoming more in favour of, of the Free State, not as an end in itself, but as, as something which was a good enough stopgap uh, in order, and then you could the old Collins arguments of, of, of the yeah, or, or, I, but there still remained a, a very, very significant degree of 
opinion that was opposed to the Free State. And of course, as, as evidence, but when uh, Sinn Féin's vote uh, in the 1923 election, it, it, did, it said we're not going to take any seats, but it, where it wins a very significant proportion of the vote. And when Fianna Fáil starts contesting votes, having split from Sinn Féin in 1926, uh, it too starts to win a very significant share of the vote. So it's clear that while public opinion generally may be may favour, as it were, the pragmatic there remains solution, a, a there remains a sufficient rump of core people. Mm. Uh, who who of activists and who are determined. Uh, some of them are so absolutely opposed to any trace of the free state that they remain outside politics altogether. Mary McSweeney, for example, mm. uh, refuses to have... Uh, even Wife to Terence McSweeney, the, free McSweeney, the yeah, Lord well, Mayor. Sister, sister. sister uh, yeah. uh, but most, uh, most of the the anti-treaty forces ultimately take the the jump, or the political anti-treaty forces take the jump into Fianna Fáil mm. uh, in 1925 and 1926. So Liam Lynch's death in the spring of 1923 kind of marks the end of it. I remember asking you last chat we had about um, you know what what was their aims, what were they doing? But it was a defensive measure. They yeah. were they were attacked. Yeah. Uh, so they were they were they were fighting to defend themselves, and what yeah. there was there was nowhere they could go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they were it, moving it, around, and yeah. and there was there, there, it was, there was a, no sense of a strategy. It was a quagmire, really, yeah, where you were going to beat mm. uh, the Free State forces. So. Arms are are handed up or they're buried. No, dump dump arms. Uh, the, dump the, arms. The, 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 the pike the in the thatch tradition. And and they kind of drift back home. And yes, I mean, are they arrested? Are they generally speaking, there isn't the the type of witch hunt mm. uh, into. Uh, into known activists. I mean, you still have... You've had large numbers, of course, who'd been interned during the Civil War. You'd had hunger strikes, mm. you'd had people dying mm. uh, in those internment camps, etc. But relatively quickly after the end of the Civil War, you do have, as evidenced by the creation of Fianna, of Fianna Fáil and the fact that in 1926 Fianna Fáil enters the door, you do have the scope for as it were, democratic, practical politics being open. The ebb and flow of, of the ballot box and the armalite yeah, yeah. are the different and, and periods. Course, and, and that, that's so an, we that's move a into that period. Important, a huge important moment. There are many post-revolutionary states, in effect, which become basically one-party states or, or where there, there's no practical way for those who oppose the, the, the victors, as it were, uh, and, and obtain power. But in Ireland, that doesn't happen mm. uh, for a variety of different reasons. But... I think, fortunately for, for Irish democracy, I mean, the, the fact that... And they come to power some 10 years after? In 1932, yes, in, in Fianna Fáil. Now, and and, and their, say, their, their former comrades turned enemies, yes. hand over the... the, the, the Reluctantly, but... Uh, and it's not just... It's not and just it's an important moment, that. It is. You know, it, in, it, in the it, sense it, of it's like, well, that's what democracy is. Yeah. They just won the election, and, and, you hand it over. And, and, and the Gardaí play ball, the army yeah, play yeah, ball. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it's fair to say probably Fianna Fáil play ball yes. when they get into power. And, I, you know, we, Dev ultimately writes a new constitution that, yep. that eradicates a lot of the elements that, that he didn't like. 49, we declare ourselves a republic. Um, but 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 that fatigue that we talked about yeah. and the lack of desire really for it to continue on any further, you know, arguably reflected in in the in the sense that northern nationalists have of southern nationalists turning their back and saying, yeah. you know what, you guys get on with it. Up, you know, we've we've yeah. sort of got what we need and we're yeah. just going to carry on with it. Yeah. Now I suppose I mean there's a couple of points about that. I mean you could also argue that 
the North, looking at the Northern Ireland Troubles, uh, even within Northern Republicanism, by the late 80s and early 1990s, they too had recognised that the struggle had mm. gone on mm. for so long and, and mm. that there wasn't any practical mm. benefits. And, and they start making overtures. Because there's a border campaign yep. in, in, the fort- in, the, in the 50s and 60s. In the 50s. Yeah. Well, there's something happens during, I think, World Water. War II. Yeah, there, there is. I mean, yeah. the IRA are pretty active. That They explode bombs in, yeah. in Britain. You have IRA men executed. You have IRA men executed in the Republic, uh, you have internment, so you have the border campaign in the 50s and 60s, and then you have the... the, the Spark, sparked off by by the um, civil rights demonstrations and, and the, the, the the widespread recognition of, of the co- a cold house for Catholics. It was, it was. I don't think, I, I mean, you have some... And that's to the shame of the Northern Irish state. In, in well, the it's, way also, it's they, primarily to the shame of the British government because the British government remained the sovereign power. Uh, and it said we retain the right to intervene where we think appropriate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they never did. Uh, so ultimately, to the extent to which mis- misgovernment and malgovernment was uh, a characteristic feature of Northern Ireland from the twenties through to whatever date that you wish to, to choose as the end point, certainly the late nineteen sixties. Ultimately, whatever immediate responsibility may be laid at the door of the unionist government, the, the ultimate responsibility lay at the door of the British government because they were the sovereign. Mm power. They had set up this regime. They had insisted that it was a subordinate legislature and, and that British had the right to, to supervise and to, to ensure democratic norms were observed and they, they didn't. Simple as that. Uh, so I kind of thought we, we, you know, we might have run out of road to, to, to converse in, in terms of looking back at the 100 years. But yes. you might join me a, a little later this year, if you would, Gabriel, yep. for a further chat and we'll maybe see... We might delve a little further yeah. into into I mean, the, 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 what went on after that and and how it pertains to today yes. in relation to the north and the south and what that even means and um, you know like you know so just for instance how RTE today the the state broadcaster can you know I didn't notice it myself at the time but I saw it pointed out and it was interesting how they'll you know tweet out a link to a story talking about a hundred years t- ago today the British left Ireland. And of course, they didn't leave Ireland. They're still in a part of Ireland, and it's there's a weird sort of, I don't know, you know, discrepancy between our views and how we look on Irish independence, and yet we 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 didn't actually achieve full Irish independence. Well, it it wasn't full independence. It certainly wasn't full independence for the whole. uh, Mm. The British have not left Ireland. No, they're still in Ireland, (laughs) and and there's no difference between that part of Ireland and and this part. You know, those Irish people are the same Irish people. They're you and me. And of course, if they had left Ireland, the Brexit Brexit question would have been sort of very, very very different. And arguably, uh, Britain would have been better off (laughs) had they left Ireland if they were. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Because they've got themselves into... And and if the the Unionists had grappled with uh, a shared island then... Yes. They'd be in a far stronger position than they than they may well be. It's very Very shortly down uh, the line, about 15, demographically, for one thing. About fifteen years ago, I took a group of American students up to Belfast, uh, and we got briefings uh, from all the parties instalment. And the official Unionist Party spokesman said that I think we the the Northern Unionists made a mistake in 1922 in, in voting themselves out of the jur- jurisdiction of the Free State. It said ultimately, what it did is it led to the demise of the. Nor- Southern Unionist tradition 
which was very strong, very positive, and had a lot of capability. It didn't lead to the eclipse of the northern nationalist community. They're, they're obviously still there and have, have grown in strength. And it placed unionism ultimately on the defensive, is it? What we have, we hold, and not an inch mentality. Mm. It, instead of it's, it's, a, being a more constructive... It arguably didn't serve them well. Then again, no, it's no. not as if they'd shown evidence of having no. an, a more open mind <laughs> no. and willingness to look at that. It's, yep. it's, yep. it's really been quite um, uh, a small framework within which they work and within which yep. they think. Yep. And you still hear that today, which is disappointing. Disappointing for a way to share the island because well, that's what we need to... I believe, personally, that's my view, is we need to find a way to be able to share this island. It's a small place. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, and, and, and I think the same... We'll be stronger I, together. Well, I, I think that's the point, is that I think it would... And this is not a historical point. This mm. is a purely a political mm. point. But I, I think that it would be, if, if the process was managed correctly, it would be win-win. I think Northern Unionists would find themselves in sort of a much stronger position in the United Ireland than they are in the United Kingdom, mm. where they're a minuscule mm. uh, minority. They would find themselves uh, being able to create new ties and allegiances across the island, which at the moment, because of the political question, they're not able to do so. I think it would benefit the South mm. in any number of different ways. I think it would benefit Britain also. Well, and these arrangements currently that they're so hot about, even yeah. though they were in support of Brexit in the first place, is, and, is, and, and, and committed is improving trade. Yes. Uh, and it's improving connections north-south, yes. which they're probably not happy about either, which is weird. Why, I mean, why, is, why is it such an issue? You know, the motorway in the north of Ireland uh, goes south of Belfast and then swings around to the right. They'll do anything to avoid connecting with the other people that live yes. all and, around and, them and, and amongst them. And, uh, and ultimately, that doesn't serve the interests of anybody in Northern And ironically, it's nationalist movements in other parts of the United Kingdom that could see the breakup of the United Kingdom, which will force the issue in a completely different way that no one expected. And of course, the Scots. Uh, and the English nationalism <laughs> is on the rise, which is what we're seeing too. So yeah. we live in interesting times. This story we talk about, oh, 100 years ago, and McCurtain and McSweeney and the burning of Cork and the this, that and the other... It, it, it's all still ongoing. It's why the story for me is so fascinating and interesting and why I hope anyone that's that's stayed with us long enough through yeah. this conversation understands there, that... There's, like, a, there's a good phrase that the past isn't dead, it's not even past. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, on that note, let's end it and I look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you, Gabriel Doherty, for being a part of this Cork History Matters podcast on Thank Red you. FM. You've been listening to a Red FM podcast. For more extra content, go to redextra.ie.